Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name is Phil, a mixing and mastering engineer with Vortis Sound Studios and I am joined by... Hello, my name is Joe Sage and I'm a producer and mix engineer at Nevis Audio. How are you doing, mate? Uh, good. Warm again. Really warm. We talk about the weather. British, British thing, isn't it? How are you? Inside? Indoors. Uh, indoors. Yep. Your That's theme the is saying that you're overheating. My theme is saying I'm indoors. Good times. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there's really not much else that can be said. It feels like the world is falling apart a little bit at the moment but yeah, um that's that's a summary <laughs> yeah hopefully this will be a light relief <laughs> so come along and celebrate <laughs> i don't know what i'm saying now joe what are we talking about this week so this week is going to be the first part of a new series that we're going to do and that series is going to be how to be a better studio dot 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 mm-hmm. and this week's is going to be how to be a better studio drummer oh the man at the back who hits the big things and makes it go big noises. Yeah. So with working with lots of artists in studios or in mix engineer or mastering engineer capacities like me and Phil have, we've picked up on things that some drummers have done really well. Some things we wish drummers had done is probably the best way to phrase it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we think it, it would be a really cool episode to kind of run through some uh tips on how to be a better studio drummer and it's also probably worth saying at this point if you are not the drummer in your band um you may still find this interesting if you want to share it with the drummer in your band maybe be careful what spirit you send it yeah (laughs) just passive aggressiveness is not is not the one not a good plan no um cool so i'm gonna kick things off that's all right so my first one and i'm gonna start with a big controversial one it's do pre-production. Ooh. I think a lot gets left behind when it comes to the drums and pre-production. So if people aren't aware what pre-production is, that can range from uh, picking a song, working on arrangements. When I'm doing pre-production with a band, speaking from personal experience, I'll tend to go into the rehearsal rooms, have Skypes, um, or do whatever, discuss you know, maybe what songs to do, maybe, okay, we can take the chorus from this one and put it on there. It's about getting everything in ship shape before you go into the studio. And a lot of that has a focus on lyrics and Mm. chords and harmony, but not necessarily on drums. So I would say it would be a good habit to get into is to program your drum parts before as a demo. That is a controversial suggestion. Why, why would you do that? Why would you program it before you do anything else like that? So similar to doing a demo for anything else, whether that be acoustics or vocals, it allows you to have a perspective of your drum parts. So you can sit back and hear how they sound in the song rather than just getting caught up in the part. So mm. you can have more objectivity to find out things such as, oh, well, that... I've, I've ruined the tension going into this chorus or I'm playing too long or maybe I should switch up my pattern in this section. Not enough drummers do that. Mm. I think the word I'm going to use, the, maybe the magic word here, is playing intentionally. Mm. So not just kind of going, well, here's this part, is this tempo, 
this is a classic rock track, so I'm going to do Four on the Floor. There's there's a lot of things you could do to help the lyrical style and the emotion and the mood of the song that go beyond, you know, exactly what you're playing. And it's, it's the feel of what you're doing and how you're kind of going about it that are really important. If you don't... Um, properly think about it before you head into the studio um when you're in the studio it's going to be too late to really think about those things because you've got to kind of get it recorded at that point yeah i think a lot of nuance is lost in the rehearsal room Hmm. especially say in some genres where the the groove is everything the last thing you want to do is get to a situation where you find out your kick drum pattern is really clashing or it's really busy or your bandmates listen back to your drum part and they go, oh, well, I, I didn't like that. I didn't know you did that section during that. I didn't know it was that busy. Especially if you're the type of band that has the process where you're going to record the drums first. If mm. you record the drums first and you've not done any pre-production, then when you start layering other things on, you might start going, oh, the, those drums are really busy. They're really distracting from everything else. That fill really doesn't work that would be an absolute nightmare because that's like trying to tear up the foundations of a house without trying to change the wallpaper. Because you're left with either you re-record all the drums and that's going to take a very long time in a studio or you try and edit them and that's not going to sound good. If you're trying to kind of chop out hits and things to kind of maybe simplify it or even to make it more busy if you need to that is simply not going to sound as good with drums than if you actually just record it that way if you thought about it before you recorded the song yeah and from a producer's point of view as well there is i wouldn't say a hesitation but when i'm recording a band and i've not heard the drum part before because they haven't like done a demo with the drum part. I've heard a demo with everything else. So I know the guitar, what the lyrics are going to be, because I like to get really in-depth with that mm. kind of thing. If I'm recording the drums first, I have to trust the drummer that it's the right part. <laughs> and not only that, I find it harder uh, from the sense of accountability to say, oh, well, I think you can do this part better. I think you can do this part worse because I don't know what his part is. Mm. It's almost like recording a vocalist without having a lyric sheet that you can reference (laughs) from, if that makes sense. Very challenging. I think some drummers that I know, when they're sort of in a live situation and you're playing in a band and you're jamming together, they'll sort of get a feel for the beat and kind of go what is this kind of thing and then you know when it comes to fills and things they'll make it up and some drummers will take that mindset into the recording studio and they'll go well you know it's this kind of beat as long as it's it's the right kind of feel it'll be all right but i think what we're really trying to emphasize is you've got to go into the studio knowing what you're going to play and knowing that it's the right thing for the music um if you go in sort of not really knowing, oh, well, I'm going to do this sort of thing, then it, it might not fit and you're going to just start wasting time and money um, in the studio. Yeah, especially if you're a drummer who has lots of cymbals. Knowing what cymbals you're going to hit and when, especially yeah. if you're going to comp between takes. If you <laughs> improvise on when you're going to, or even what crash or cymbal you're going to use to mark sections, it will become an editing nightmare. As a person who's had to edit those sessions before. Amen. (laughs) Um, Amen to that. 
So yeah, I think there's also an element to it as well that we've talked about this a lot. In studio sessions, you want things to go smooth because mm. not only is time time money, but it also, if you get these foundational things right, it allows you more room for experimentation. We're not saying, you know, everything needs to be mega strict and mega robotic. Uh, I don't know why I did an Austrian accent for that. I think I just immediately thought of Arnold Schwarzenegger. We all do. Um, <laughs> because that doesn't sound like a fun experience. But what I'm saying is if you can cut out unnecessary things mm. such as you know trying to have debates about what the drum parts are and figuring out what symbols are and saving time on editing then it allows you more room for experimentation to go oh cool yeah well actually i kind of want to try a drum solo in this can i try that if you've got the time then great these are the things you can do if you have a really streamlined workflow yeah i think sort of relating to what Joe was saying there about symbols, something else that I think drummers need to think about, this is probably more so in sort of metal drumming than anything else, is how big is your kit? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Joe knows where I'm going. Um, Having 20 toms and 50 symbols looks great on a stage, maybe. In the studio, is going to take a very long time to set up. Very long time to set up. And is just going to be sort of a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare especially if you don't know what necessarily what you're going to play have i would say a fairly simple kit and i would argue for a lot of metal bands and rock bands you don't need more than two toms maybe three i could see three in some bands and have symbols with a purpose there's no point in having four or five different crash symbols that sound ever so slightly different um, you may as well just have one, maybe two. Um, a simple kit is going to be quicker to set up on stage as well as in the studio and is going to probably sound better because you've got more time to tune it, more time to work on it. Yeah, there's definitely, I think, an element of option paralysis. Yes. So I've worked on a few metal stuff, but primarily I kind of work in like the indie, indie and kind of uh, indie rock, uh, pop rock kind of scene. And my heart somewhat sinks when a drummer turns up with 12 toms and they're, they're like, yeah, yeah, we're really influenced by Arctic Monkeys and the Strokes. And I go, right. Some of the, you know, favorite drummers I've had the privilege of being in the studio with, like, um, I'm just going to drop a name, like Clem Burke, who is the um, blondie and played with the Ramones. That guy whacked the living daylight out of a three-piece kit, and it sounded incredible. Yes. Like, if you can master that, nail the foundations, you will never want to play a 20-tom kit again. Please don't. (laughs) If nothing else, for the sake of the engineer who set up all those mics, especially in metal where it has to be really articulated, you want a close mic, all the drums... That's going to take a very long time. Yeah. There's also an element to it as well where, you know, there's there's more things that can go wrong with mm. that. If you're, especially as well, if you're not spending that much or even if you're doing, you know, DIY recording, because I think all of this counts for, you know, DIY recording as well. We're talking about, you know, studio sessions where time is money. But if you're, say, recording your drums at your guitarist's house, you might only have like a two or three hour window where you can make a lot of noise. So again, all these points apply to making sure that you're streamlined Mm. and effective. 
and if you only have say an eight input interface then you're not going to have all the inputs to micro pull those toms and all these bits and pieces so that's worth thinking about as well i totally agree um i think that leads us quite nicely onto my other point which is equipment mm-hmm. i'm not sure i'm not sure if this is unfair to drummers because we are not part of the drumming fraternity um we're definitely more towards the stringed union but there is, especially in the guitar world, a very, very heavy notion that it's like, okay, all about tone and what guitar mm. you have. And so everyone's kind of on this like endless quest to have, um, you know, the best sounding guitar and they'll be constantly researching things to kind of find the best thing. In my experience, I don't think there's the same phenomena in drums. I bet there's someone who's sat at home shaking their head at these this probably and you know what that as much you know there are exceptions to the rule i totally agree with that but i think especially for drummers that are heading into the studio there tends not to be the same emphasis on what they're actually hitting Mm. rather than what their parts are if that makes sense and yeah both need to have an equal footing um so in my experience at least a lot of the drummers that i know they um, value certain bits of their kit kind of really important. That's like their bit, their tone. Um, And the cymbals are there to an extent, but the snare drum is like the thing. So, Joe, um, if you you were going to work with a band and they were going into a studio, would you tend to use the drummer's kit that they own or would you use something the studio had already? Because a lot of studios have drum, drum kits. Yeah. And I think that massively depends. So I have a uh, 60s Ludwig Superphonic. So Beautiful. usually the conversation goes with the drummer where they say, hey, yeah, yeah, I'm going to use my snare. And I go, I can bring a 60s Ludwig. And they go, yeah, cool. I never like my snare anyway. Who cares? Um, <laughs> doesn't matter. So that, that tends to be how that conversation goes. Yeah, I would say options are really really pivotal i don't mm-hmm. think you'll find many guitarists that go into the studio going here's my one pedal and my amp and this one guitar and i need to have this exact sound they are kind of prepared for for multiple things really and another emphasis i want to make is on drum skins and drum heads you wouldn't tend well i like to think that you wouldn't find guitarists who would go into the studio with broken strings. <laughs> so why would a drummer go into a studio with heads that look like they've been bombed Please don't. for three years and then dropped off a cliff? They just don't sound good. No, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how good of a drummer you are, how good the drum itself is. I will always, always, always prefer to record a more affordable, cheaper kit that's got new heads on it Mm. and is in tune than a super expensive you know mega custom kit that is out of tune and has totally lifeless heads on it yeah if you're gonna go into the studio and say you're working with the producer it's a good conversation to have with them maybe refer you back to our producer episode about who's going to provide what you know can is the producer going to help you and do they have certain drum heads that they like or are they going to ask you you know you bring some what do you like but if you're you're recording yourselves at home you've you've just got to deal with it yourself (laughs) you've got to get some new drum heads it's just the only way to get your drums sounding the best they could be 
Yeah, and I think there's a key point there, and that is communication mm. with the producer and the studio, and it all kind of ties back in to pre-production. If you're writing parts, so say you could be rehearsing in a rehearsal room where the drum kit has three toms, so you could be constantly going, right, this three-tom fill is a really pivotal part. And then you get to the studio and you're using the house kit and it's got two, two toms. Awkward. What, what do you do then? So I think having these conversations and writing demos and going back and forth means that you can kind of eliminate these hiccups and things that will ultimately cost you time and money later down the line. Yeah. It's, it's definitely worth planning ahead with these things so you know what to expect when you're in the studio. Um, I think another thing on um, sort of your drum kit and getting it set up and getting it organised is with cymbals, I think, and I'm wondering if you agree with me, Joe, the cymbal tone that is best for a live gig is different to a cymbal tone that is best for the studio. 100%. So, exactly. So live drummers are looking for cymbals to cut through that dense wall of guitars and so they get really kind of bright um often quite harsh sounding cymbals that just work in that context in the studio when you've got your loads of mics and it's all set up properly um those cymbals will sound harsh you're gonna want mellower cymbals and don't worry about it not sort of peeking through all the guitars. That's what the mixing is for. If it's not gonna, if it's not quite right, then the mixer will definitely fix it and will definitely make it that the cymbals are peeking through just the right amount compared to the guitars. Yeah, I think that leads on quite nicely as well to playing style, and it it encompasses what I've got written down here, which is like versatility and being prepared to take on board constructive criticism to get the best performance out. There is a common thing amongst a lot of drummers who haven't been in the studio very often is that they absolutely batter the living daylights out of cymbals and then tickle snares. I would say if any, you know, person, and I have been asked, you know, they've said, uh, hi, you know, I'm, I'm a drummer. I want to kind of start getting into session stuff. What should I learn to do? Play evenly mm. is massive. So just learn... My preference is, and you know, there'll be different producers, I'm sure, for different genres, is learn to whack the living daylights out of your <laughs> snare and your toms and then learn to play like a, a if we were going to talk in velocities, at a medium velocity mm. on your on your cymbals. But yeah, there's nothing worse than having room mics that are just a wash of cymbals. Oh, yes. And then you can hear the, the faint call of a snare from <laughs> 300 metres away. <laughs> um. I've I've always heard it called balanced playing. That's the way it's been described mm. to me. And I think if you're thinking about becoming maybe a session drummer at some point, you may find yourself in a situation where the producer, say, is going, well, let's go for a really kind of vintage vibe. Let's, you know, only put up a couple of mics like, you know, they did in the 60s or 70s. And when you have less mics, the mixing engineer and the producer and everyone involved is going to have less control when it comes to the mixing and so the drummer's job apart from playing well and all these obvious things is to play balanced is to make sure that an even amount of um drums and cymbals get into the right mics and balanced playing is just is the only way to make that work yeah a really cool way to practice balanced playing is if you do have an acoustic drum kit make a voice memo on your phone and place it where you'd place a room mic 
you'll be able to quickly listen back and tell if you're hitting things too loudly or too quietly. That's a great idea. Everyone's got a microphone in their pocket on their phone, so use it. Yeah, it's the same principle as songwriting. Like, if you can do an acoustic version of a song into a phone memo and it still sounds great, not as in, you know, win record of the year at the Grammys for its technical proficiency, but the chorus still sounds great and it's still a good song. It's the campfire test. Mm. So I think that same thing applies for checking your drumming style, really. And that also leans into versatility. So don't be... A, afraid to take on other people's opinions, whether that be the producer, the engineer, or your bandmates, because for them, it might be the first time that they're hearing these parts in high fidelity. So they might not be keen on X, Y, and Z. This can be avoided if you do pre-production demos, but obviously people have different feelings on the day and program drums will sound different to how you play it, etc. But another one is, especially when it comes to setting up your drums, be prepared for a bit of give and take with an engineer. Mm. The common one is drummers that have their cymbals really, really low. Mm. And it makes it really, really difficult to get a um, a clean snare and tom sound because all you get is a wash of cymbal bleed in it. So it's having the adaptability. I'd even recommend try playing your hi-hat at different heights. So get used to... Um, setting up your drum kit slightly differently, put yourself in a bit of an alien environment. And if you can adapt to that, you can really adapt to anything. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing is, the recording engineer in that situation is trying to make you as a drummer sound the best you possibly can. And the way to go about that as a drummer is to be accommodating, is to go, well, this person is not trying to ruin my playing. They're trying to help the tone. And so it's it's about learning to adapt um, in your practicing to kind of slightly different heights and things like that to kind of be comfortable in the studio when it comes to it. Yeah. Other things I would say is practice to a click track. Yes, please. It sounds so obvious. And I think the... Standout reason would be, you know, for playing in time. But the other <laughs> one is get used to the sound of a click track whilst you're drumming. There are drummers that as soon as they hear the dreaded boop, 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 <laughs> will freeze and forget everything they know. Because it can be a bit of an intimidating environment, and especially once you've heard a click track. So, yeah, I couldn't recommend doing pre-prod programming your drums learn your part practice it to a click track please do there's you can't go wrong i don't know if it's like a rock drummer thing but there's loads of drummers that will kind of get into the studio and go well i don't play to a click and unfortunately modern maybe well maybe unfortunately i would argue against that um unfortunately for you maybe um most modern music nearly all modern music is done on a click track and that is doubly so for music that sells well. <laughs> it's done on a click track. There's no there's no way around it. You kind of just have to suck it up and get used to it. Yeah, even that's for stuff that grooves. So a lot of the stuff that I produce is tracked live, kind of like in the old school way. And a click track makes it really easy to do punch-ins mm. because it just means you can do three or four takes all the way through the song and it means that you can reliably and easily go, well, let's take the chorus of the third take and just add that to the first take because it was great apart from that chorus. So yeah, having that ability is uh, is priceless, really. Yeah. And another way to build upon that 
is to play the song at different speeds because mm. you never know what the producer or the band might turn around and go, you know what, now we've actually listened to this. Could we try it a few BPM quicker? Could we try a few BPM slower? Having that adaptability, especially if you want to get in the session game, is huge. Yes. As a session musician, you've got to be ready to just change what you're doing very quickly. And that's the way to be good and get work, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Um, when it comes to rehearsing and practicing ahead of going in the studio, as well as playing to a click, if you've done your pre-production demos, a really good idea is to play with the instruments that you are going to be recording drums with. Now, when you're in the rehearsal studio and everyone's there and it's a big, you know, it's all happening, that's really cool and really exciting. And when you're in the studio and maybe you have, maybe even as simple as here's a guitar, a rhythm guitar to play along with, imagine the rest of the song, that can be quite difficult. Um, so rehearsing realistically with what you're going to be playing with, especially if you're in a band and you just sort of know the kinds of instruments that you're going to be playing with at that really early stage, that is a great idea. Don't take your cues necessarily off the vocals unless you're tracking with the vocals. Yeah, it's a great help and a dream scenario when I'm tracking drums and you've done amazing pre-production. Everyone knows what they are. They're basically kind of tracking, you know, not to just like a guide vocal and a guide guitar. They're tracking to two guide rhythms, mm. a guide lead, a guide synth. The whole song is in there. They know their part. I know what their part is because they've programmed it and I've sent it to them. We've worked on the fills, whatever. It's a totally different equation when um, they say, you know, when everyone knows their part and they turn around and they go, yeah, actually, can we go back on this, on, you know, verse two, part B? I want to correct that kick drum part that goes like X, Y, Z. It's a much, much more difficult situation <laughs> when someone goes, yeah, can we just do that, that bit? And I go, right, well, what bit? Because you haven't sent me the parts. I don't know what part of the song we're in. That can, yeah, it saves so much time and makes a session of downside more enjoyable too. Yes, yes. Because the studio is about work, but it re you really should be enjoying yourself when you're in there. If you all know what you're playing, then it's going to be a much quicker process and you're going to have more time to do the kind of random fun things like let's let's add some simple, let's, let's add a shaker, let's, you know, see what happens here, that kind of thing. Uh, so this week I am doing the band of the week again, two weeks in a row. It's very, very shocking. Um, this week uh, it is Trouble County. They are a three-piece hard rock band from Hampshire and they have a new single that came out just last week and it's called 12 Gauge Blues. If I like them, where can I find them, Phil? Um, show notes. There's a link on the show notes. Amazing. Cool. Well, until next time, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from him.
Stuck in our 